You are listening to the sassiest podcast in the world. Born in the Nordics, democratizing B2B SaaS knowledge everywhere. Hi, I'm Daniel. And I'm Thomas. And we are experienced SaaS professionals that are curious about how other successful SaaS companies go to market, scale, build winning teams and great products. Join us on our journey as we speak to SaaS leaders trying to get hold of their secret sauce. And today's guest is Cedric Notz, the CEO and founder at Float. To be a successful founder, I think you really need to know that it's going to be a really rough ride and not every year is going to be great. And you just need to keep fighting it, even if sometimes you just feel like giving up. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Sassiest Podcast. Happy that you choose to join us for another episode. We hope you are fine. What about you, Daniel? Are you fine? I'm very good. Firing in all cylinders here. So excited. It's like, it's just like it should be exciting times ahead. I mean, it's an intense spring here. All the network groups are up and running. We are planning for Sassius 2024 in mid-April. I hope that you will join us there. It's going to be an amazing event. Loads of good content, network opportunities, social events, and of course, a great party in the evening. Also, a lot of good food and drinks. So that will be amazing. Uh, but until then, also, we will on a continuous level also produce a lot of content that we hope that you find valuable. And Daniel, what are we going to talk about today? Today, we're going to talk about the capital market a little bit, but specifically about revenue-based financing and what that is, what it's all about, how that differs from maybe other alternatives to, to raise capital or raise loans. Or as they said, founder-led growth. And here we go. Today, we are super excited to have Cedric Notz, the CEO and founder at Float, here as a guest in the CEO podcast. So warm welcome to you, Cedric. Thank you. Thank you. Very happy to be here. Great. Where in the world are you situated right now? I'm sitting in Stockholm. Uh, it's been a great winter so far, so very happy to be here. It's been nice and cold and full of snow, so it's been good. Because I thought an avid skier like yourself, you would be like hanging out in the Alps some, uh, something now and just enjoying, you know, some proper downhill skiing. But I guess Stockholm is the place to be. Yeah, well, you know, I wish I could be and actually it would be a dream to be there. Um, but, you know, when I was uh, training for the Olympics, I spent a lot of my time in the Alps, in the mountains, skiing. So I've kind of got over that bug. But I still miss it. Up, 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 up. Okay, the Olympics. Okay, we, we, we need to go and dig down there. So tell us about yourself. Tell us about the Olympics. Tell us about everything, both uh, on the personal side and the professional side. We are really curious. Well, I grew up in Switzerland. So I'm Swiss and I uh, grew up in the Alps. So I spent most of my youth skiing and racing and competing. And, um, and then... Then I moved on to go to university, studied in the U.S., studied in finance, uh, worked in investment banking in New York and London. Then I decided during that moment that I, I missed skiing and I wanted to go back into racing and uh, basically got back into the racing, got hired by a team, not the Swiss team, but by another team to race for them and um, eventually went to the Olympics in Vancouver in 2010 and qualified. So that was wow. a great moment. Uh, 
I highly recommend it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking about taking up my Olympic career. But let's say it's a lot. It's a lot on the table now. But did you meet any famous Swedish uh, downhill skiers? I met the woman. The, she was a very famous skier um, in 2010. She, but she, Anya. Anya, exactly. She was. I met her, of course, and I met all the. I mean, you meet everybody. I met tons of ice hockey players, figure skaters. Yeah. Um, it was. I mean, it's it's you know the most televised event in the world. So it's a really, really amazing energy and experience that is it's unparalleled to anything I, I I have done in any case. So did you come home with a medal? Did you like end up on on the podium? Like how well did you do? <laughs> I came I came actually there there was 120 racers from all over the world, and I came 72nd. I didn't I wasn't striving for a medal. I was more for the journey than 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 the actual destination. For me, that was the important part, and I knew that my Years in investment banking didn't help my my athletic body, so <laughs> so I knew I couldn't catch up uh, to the those athletes I was racing with when I was a kid. They they were competing too, but they were going for the medals. Yeah, and that's another journey that has brought you here. So could it take us through how how you got to this moment and uh, working with Float? Yeah, so basically after my Olympic career, I decided to do a career change and I didn't want to work in finance anymore. And I decided to work for a startup in San Francisco and fell in love with the startup world and then um, fell in love with the Swede as well and moved to Sweden. <laughs> so the combination of the two, I, I worked for a startup and then I came here to Sweden and set up my own company, a fintech company in 2019. And um, and here we are. and. Uh, it's been a great journey, uh, loving Sweden, uh, loving this business. and uh, That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I'm envious here. And I, for the past two minutes, I've been thinking like, what sport can I engage in to qualify for the Olympics? <laughs> well, just let's just say I haven't thought of any. Yeah, the, uh, a very common theme among a lot of people I know is like, okay, well, if he went to the Olympics, I must be able to go to the Olympics. What can we do? And so a lot of people are thinking of doing curling. Oh, I, w I was just about to say that. <laughs> <laughs> because you know this this the Swedish curling team is fantastic. Yeah. Like we are best in the world and I mean this in the possible way. I know curling is as difficult as any other sport, but it is a sport that's not practiced by so many countries. And like while you were talking here I was thinking like well uh my parents are from a small, a small country called Macedonia. They surely have no curling team. <laughs> <laughs> That could be by way in. Yeah, but the actual truth of the matter is the problem is uh, I met the Azeris uh, who were trying to do the curling team um, <laughs> and they didn't qualify. So the reality is that you it doesn't matter if your country has a team or not. You have to qualify on an international level. Okay. And that's where it becomes really tough. So even in curling... I don't know anyone who tried and managed to qualify for the Olympics. Okay, that sounds like a challenge. Watch me and Thomas in the Olympics, wherever the next Olympic is, like curling and sledding on the ice. Hey, awesome. It's it's great to have you here. Uh, let's dig into a little bit uh, what you guys do. Like so, so more specifically, what is Float all about, and who do you serve? So basically, it all started out with me and my co-founder, uh, both of us, you know, having worked for startups and, and, and kind of being founders ourselves and feeling this like kind of frustration of fundraising. Um, it took forever and it was very painful processes, taking away our time from really growing the business 
and focusing on that and and just focusing our area our time on the wrong place and so we are like we have to find a funding mechanism that is provided for a lot of these startups and especially in the SaaS industry that allows them to really do it very quickly and very time efficiently which allows them to focus on their business and that's how it all started and we created this product that is a super fast simple uh, online digital uh, funding platform for the SaaS let's say the subscription economy which includes SaaS and other and other industries. All right, cool. Yeah, we're gonna go deeper into exactly what you're doing. And yeah, you mentioned this is, uh, yeah, the SaaS company is your main customer group. Uh, but uh, maybe we should good, go into a little bit of, of the numbers as well. So, so you help companies by lending out money. So, uh, how much money do you have to to lend out? So we basically have uh, about a billion sec uh, today, which is about 100 million euros that we are planning to deploy in the next two years. Yeah, um, we are also, uh, of course, you know, mainly focused in the Nordics, but we're also uh, working a lot in the DAC region and the Benelux, Netherlands, um, all of the Baltics. All the Nordics, so we are we've grown very fast and expanded very quickly. Um, clearly, people like our product, right. <laughs> and um, and we've done a you know a few few hundreds of million in loans so far with over about over forty loans to date, um, and it growing growing quickly. Okay, cool. So Daniel, do a good segue into the main topic now. <laughs> I was mesmerized by. A billion sec to to land out when you're going to do that in in just two years. That's that's quite aggressive. It shows that there's an appetite for this. But again, uh, neither Thomas or I or CFOs, while we know of you and I think we we have a pretty good idea. You know, in your terms, explain specifically what does revenue based financing mean? Okay, I mean, this is a term that's been widely used in the in the kind of the SaaS lending landscape. And so all SaaS lenders have fallen into this revenue-based funding bucket. But the reality is that not everyone is in this bucket. So what revenue-based funding means exactly is that it's lenders that basically provide loans to SaaS companies and they repay the loan through taking a percentage of the monthly revenues of those companies. So the reason why Float has decided not to do this is because for us it was very opaque the actual cost that the SaaS uh, founders were paying. So for example, if you're if you have let's say you you borrow one million in revenue-based financing and they tell you you have to pay back 1.5 million in the next three years, but you pay it back in two years, it's actually costing you a lot more than if you pay it back in three years. So it kind of you never knew how much you were paying. It was a bit opaque. So what we do at Float is we actually just do term loans for SaaS companies, which means you know exactly the interest you pay and over what term you pay it back. Okay. I thought that was the beauty of it. If you started a um, revenue-based funding uh, company and the customers could pay you back more, that that was sort of the the sweetness of the, the deal. But you didn't go that way. No, you, you mean like they they pay you back uh, from a percentage of the revenues, you mean? Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's penalizing the companies that perform better, right? Yeah. Because if you pay back the loan in two years versus three years, it's it's much higher interest that you're paying for that loan. Yeah, it it makes sense. You you want to help the companies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The good companies should be should be paying less, not more. Yeah, yeah. So so when 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 companies come to you, you know, CEO, CEOs or founders or the board member, I don't know actually who the first person is that that comes to you guys or that you interact with. Like for you to qualify them or disqualify them, what do you look at? How, how does that exercise take place? And, and what are some of the, the stuff or metrics that you guys look at? Well, to start with, we generally need the company to have at least two years of revenue history and um, to be, let's say, over 3 million sec in, uh, in annual revenues. And then once you have those two criteria in place, the next metrics that we really look at are that the company is not burning less than 50% of their revenues. So that's the reason why we go for, let's say, 3 million sec in annual revenues minimum, because typically smaller companies are burning a lot more since they have a small team and little re- uh, they have very little revenues at the early stages. And then the other rule that we really follow very closely is the rule of 40 is greater than zero. Now, I don't know how many people are familiar with the rule of 40, but it basically the way you calculate the rule of 40 is that your revenue growth plus your plus your profit margin. Mm-hmm. That means if you're growing at, let's say, 60% a year and you are burning 30% of your revenues a year, that means your rule of 40 is 30. Right. So that is a, that's fine. For us, that's a good, very good figure. Above zero, anything above zero. But this metric is beautiful because it also takes into account not only the burn, but also the, reven- the revenue growth. Right. And then, of course, a, a very important figure is the churn also. So we, we try to find companies that have less than 7% churn per year. And this is quite simple, really risk measurement, because if a company churns a lot and they stop growing, the company will go out of business very quickly. Yeah. And then the fourth point is that their debt to financial institutions, not government debt, but like say bank loans or anything like that, is less than 30% of their revenues. So those are kind of the main kind of criteria that I would say most, let's say revenue-based lenders or companies like ours will look at to assess a company. Yeah. So uh, thinking out loud here, I might have to regret this one, but when you walk us through these four ones, again, for an amateur like myself, one big difference compared to potentially just walking down to your local bank is that it sounds to me you can do quite some losses, but as long as you're growing aggressively and the, the rule of 40 is positive, so to say, or above zero, there's a way to qualify for a loan. And if I would go to no names mentioned here, but to a local bank, they will see at my annual reports and they will just see like, oh my God, he's deep in the red. They might disqualify me much earlier because they don't understand the scope of, of, of the business and what it means to run a subscription business. Is, is that a fair assessment? Uh, that's a super fair assessment and very accurate. In fact, I mean, if, if you look at the banking industry in general over like the last thousands of years, there are two main factors banks require for loans. And the first one is they require some sort of collateral or security. And that's usually a tangible, 
collateral. That means something physical, something like a real estate, like a building or machinery or something that they can put a put a value to. Um, so that's one requirement that they have. And the second one is that they have a positive cash flow for the last five years. And so they can lend on either of those or both of those. So when a SaaS company comes along and it's a software company that has no physical assets and is losing money every month, it usually doesn't look very good for a bank loan. Yeah. <laughs> but but I mean, there's other opportunities that been around for, for a long while. I mean, you can sell your invoices, right? And that is also a way that you can get income beforehand and maybe don't need to sort of sell parts of your company. So yeah. what's the difference and the benefits yeah. of doing that? It seems like an easy, easy thing to do. Yeah, I mean, there's many different options out there, right? You have factoring, which is one of them. However, I mean, factoring is it's a quite a, a, a painful process for a founder to go through because they have to sell every single invoice. Um, and on the invoice, they have to write that that invoice has been sold. And a lot of companies don't want to have that. Um, because they don't want their clients to know that they're selling their invoice to get extra cash, which shows kind of maybe financial weakness of the company. Yeah. So the less they have to, the less it interferes with their client, the better the product. And if you look at kind of you know the different products out there today for SaaS companies, so what do you have? You have equity and you have debt, which are the two main types of funding in the market today. Equity is really kind of uh, just to take like kind of a bird's eye view of the market is really investing in uh, in founders and looking at their future and potential. Debt is the opposite. It's looking at the past and the history. They're not so interested in the future. They want to know that you can pay back the loan. The equity investor just wants to have his money back times times 10 in 5 years. Yeah. So if you look at the if you look at the advantages and disadvantages, so if you take equity for example, I mean a clear huge advantage of equity is that you can get huge amounts of money, very large sums of money. Um, more than any other debt instrument out there. That's without a question. Right. However, the disadvantage is that it's a extremely expensive. It's probably the most expensive form of funding. And especially if a company is growing very fast and they only invest in fast growing companies. So it's generally extremely expensive for them. And it takes a huge amount of time for them, for the founders or the executive team to actually close an equity round. You're you're looking, you know, from six to nine months for new investors. It's 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 a long and about seventy percent of their time. Yeah. So when you look at the opportunity cost of all that time spent, you know, and if you had the money and you could actually implement all your plans before that, it's a huge opportunity cost, right? And that's why debt has grown so much recently is because the speed and simplicity of raising capital now is so much easier that you know it's very hard for founders to justify going through that six nine month period unless they really need a huge amount of money. Yeah, well, some of the benefits might be that you get sort of a quality stamp that someone wants to give you a lot of money because they believe in your company, right? And another one would be that you might get access to experts because they they want you to succeed so they can get paid back. And another one is that you get media attention because it's usually the ones that raises money that gets the headlines, not the bootstraps one or the ones taking a loan. You you never see a headline that is, this company took a a loan of this and so much from somewhere. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you have this... This phenomenon that happened for many years now that, you know, the publications loved writing about equity raises. However, we got approached by publications because they wanted to now ra- ra- to, 
you know, to kind of boost bootstrappers who are getting loans instead of raising equity as kind of the new heroes of the market. So you're starting to see a shift from a PR perspective. Um, in terms of, of investor involvement, I think it really depends on, on the investors, how much they get involved and how much they can help. But it's definitely, uh, you know, an advantage as well, for sure. So are you the, the investor's uh, worst enemy or, or how's the relationship in, in between you and the investors? I would say, well, the way we look at it is that we don't replace equity, to be honest. What, the way we see ourselves is more of like a runway extension for uh, companies. So, Let's say, let's say a company is growing 100% a year, their valuation will double, at least double in one year. Right. Right. So they're sitting there and they have some cash and they're like, okay, we need this much cash, but we don't need that much more. Why don't we get a loan instead of raising equity and we'll double the value of, the, of our round when we do it next later next year? Or maybe we extend it even another year. It depends on, on the companies, but that's what most of our customers are seeing is the value of waiting longer to raise equity, especially if they're growing fast and they are, you know, VC potential investment. Right. Um, so we, what we see in our portfolio of most of our companies, so let's say there's a cost in, in, in getting a loan, but the cost compared to the value increase in their shares, we see an ROI of between 30 and 50x on average for most of our company. Did you say 30 to 50? Times, 30 to 50 times. That's huge. The cost of, of the funding, uh, the loan. So it, it's really, really beneficial for companies. And I think that's really one of our mottos here is also, we want to see founders owning a lot more shares when they sell their companies. Um, th I think they deserve that. They work super hard to build their great business. They put their life there. Um, they're putting it ahead of everything, their family and everything. And, you know, to end up with like 12% or 15% of the company when they're selling it, I think is, is a bit unfair for these guys who are working and sweating it all out way. So by using debt as well in the mix, I'm not saying it's replacing the equity, but extending the runway and really maximizing the value of the shares for the founders. I think it's, it's going it, it, you're going to see in a few years, uh, founders owning a lot more shares of their company and, and, you know, really cashing in a lot more. And I think this is really, one of the main drivers for us as a company is to help these founders. Yeah, it's good. It's it's good to hear. And thank you so much for that clarification. And uh, again, in my perspective, it sounds like it's not either or. Many times they coexist. For example, you know the, the raising capital for for equity versus you know the loans that you guys are providing. But just to make this concrete, Cedric, if I give you a scenario and like let's let's stick to some numbers that makes it easy to calculate. Let's imagine Thomas and I are running uh, a SaaS company. We are at 10 million in ARR. We are growing at, let's say, 30% and almost break even. So we are above the zero, so to say, on the, uh, the rule of 40. And we have less churn than 7%. Yeah. So with this in mind, 10 million in ARR, if we would come to you, how much money could we collect from your services? So we... we give up to 70% of ARR on the really exceptional companies out there. So that would mean around 7 million. However, on average, I would say we are uh, around 50%. So we'd be around 5 million. Mm -hmm. 
And when it comes to the larger companies, we tend to start off a little bit smaller. Like we would give a, probably a loan to you of around two million for the first six months, and then ramp it up. Okay. Um, and see kind of that you're you're following your KPIs and 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 you're using the capital, you know, in the right way. Yeah. And and what is this loan going to cost us? Like, let's say we get this two million. What is the cost of capital or the interest on that? So the way it works with with float in any case, and I can't speak for all lenders. I think every lender out there is slightly different, and they offer slightly different uh, products. So it's always good to kind of I can't generalize, but in our case, is that we typically charge, let's say, on an annual basis between six and ten percent plus the central bank rate. Okay, and the central bank rate now is about if you take here in Sweden. For something, it's three point nine, I think. I mean, in Europe, it's three point nine. I think Sweden is very close uh, to that. Um, if, for example, in Switzerland, it's one point seven five. Of course, it is. Of course, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you store your money, Cedric? Is that in Switzerland or in Sweden? Well, it would be better in Sweden because you get a higher interest on your yeah. money. Yeah, of course. It's like he has his mortgage from Switzerland, <laughs> but he has his savings account in Sweden. So okay, that 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 explains it. Uh, and what about speed? You mentioned that. So so let's say we qualify. How fast from an initial say application to funds in my account? I would say if depending on the company, of course, and and the data that you provide us. So basically, I think one of the big advantages of of revenue based financing, most companies out there today is that it's a highly digital process, right? So what does this mean? This means that everything is done on the cloud and it's a question of just either connecting your data sources through an API or uploading it into, into your dashboard. Um, and this means that it'll take maybe a you guys, you, let's say you're doing 10 million in ARR, so you're, you're a pretty big team, you have a, probably a CFO, that means you will probably do it in about 30 minutes, the application, because all you need to do with bank is with bank ID, connect to your bank, connect to your accounting software, connect to your subscription management software. It'll, it'll take you maybe 10 minutes, 15 minutes in Sweden to do this. Um, so you've made the application. We have all your data. And within, let's say, 10 days, you'll get a, a reply from us with an offer. Okay. So this, this is one of the main goals, right? This is the goal for the founders. The opportunity cost of all the time and energy spent and loss of time in raising capital, this is what we're trying to, to eliminate here, I think, in this industry. Um, and this is a pain, I think, that resonates a lot with a lot of founders and the opportunity cost of all that lost time and, 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 and resources um, is huge, right? It's, it's compared to the cost of the funding, it's nothing. Are you tired of communicating with prospects through PDFs and slide decks that get lost in long email threads? Get Accept's digital sales firm empowers revenue teams to increase their win rate by engaging and understanding buyers, from opportunity to sign deal. A microsite easily shareable to all stakeholders by a link. We can share sales content and quotes and communicate to get the contract signed. A collaborative buyer experience that wins the deal. We call it a digital sales firm. So I have another question here because it's like, it sounds very generous what you do. Like, you know, I qualify for loans that I would maybe traditionally not qualify and, and not because you, you are 
nicer, it's because you understand the, the subscription business much greater than, let's say, a traditional bank. And I will also get access to the funds much quicker than going, again, the traditional routes without losing any equity. So those are all great attributes from this setup. What I was wondering here is that how do you protect yourself? Because an equity play, then they have people on the board, make sure that the CEO and CFO doesn't do anything crazy, that they open up a market that they know is not going to go well or that they overhire and so on. How do you keep track of what was good when this company applied doesn't go crazy and bonkers six months down the road? Yeah. I mean, that's that's a really good question. And I think it's really important to understand for founders when they apply here because, you know, for a lot of founders, they might not understand why, like, for example, most RBF is between, let's say, 12 to 24 months is the average maturity of the loans. And for us, it's up to 15 months. And the reason is, but it's a credit line. So they, the founders get a certain amount of money uh, available to them and they can use it whenever they want. So it, it actually extends far beyond 15 months. But the, re the reason why this mechanism has been developed and also why it's fairly short term is because, as you said, we have decided not to take all the personal guarantees, the warrants, the equity guarantees, the corporate pledges. All these things have been removed from the loan, which means we're quite exposed to the companies. And the way to mitigate the risk, what we've done is we've created a lot of APIs connecting to the data sources of the companies. That means we connect to their banking data, to their accounting data, and to their subscription data. This allows us to see live, up-to-date information about the company. And we keep monitoring them. So as they keep drawing more funds, we are still connected to that data, or they have to reconnect to the data if it's expired, that link. Um, and that allows us, and that's why we made it a bit shorter maturities so that things can't, don't get too much out of control. Because the lender at the end of the day, the only, the best case scenario for lenders, he gets his money back plus some interest. So there's, the risk appetite is not a, the same as an equity investor who, you know, makes 10x in five years. Yeah. That, that sounds like a really intimate relation, letting you guys in, in all of these systems and so on. And I, I guess you, it needs to be a lot of trust here. So how do you assure that uh, to build this trust relationship with the companies? I, I think, you know, in finance, trust is, is, is a huge, huge factor, right? What, why do you bank with Nordea versus a, a small regional bank is because you trust that, you know, they're managed in a professional way and that they have the securities they need, et cetera, et cetera. So trust is a huge factor. And I think, you know, you can break trust very quickly it takes a very long time to build the trust and it's it's a market thing so people you know talk in a positive way we have a lot of customers we have over 40 loans 40 customers and that means we you know they we've been around as one of the very early uh, you know providers of this product in the market and built a trustworthy brand that you know that people trust and you know we we guarantee that we don't we we don't share that data with anyone it's just for us to use internally for analysis purposes and and I guess um, I guess that that trust has been built over the years. That's awesome. So since we have you here and you, you've been in the banking sphere and worked in the capital markets for a long time, you know some of the big discussions in our forum has been around 
what's the state of the capital market going forward here? You know, when money used to be free, nobody cared. It was just like, we go raise and we have fun and so on. What's your take on this? Like, what can SaaS founders, CFOs, CEOs, what can they expect from the capital market in the coming year and so on? You know, I, th- I think if, if I could predict that, I would probably be retired on so- my private island somewhere. T- t- tell us if you find the answer, because I don't mind the private island either. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's a very hard, you know, it's very hard to predict. I mean, I, clearly interest rates and inflation have a huge uh, f- factor into this, because when you have high interest rates, let's say the risk-free rate in the U.S. right now is like around 5 5.5% on government debt. So obviously the risk appetite goes down significantly if you can make basically they consider it risk-free I'm i'm not so convinced about that anymore but you know if you can get risk-free five and a half percent why take all that risk and invest in startups that have a very low probability of succeeding you know it's it's obviously changed the risk appetite but so what interest rates are going to do in the next years is everyone has their own idea people believe it's going to go down now because inflation is softening but there's a lot of factors that are also increasing inflation now. So there's, it's, who knows what what will happen in the future. But if interest rates go down, I think investors will have more appetite again to take more risky investments and invest in startups. Um, And also if the whole political situation, you know, improves and there's not more wars going on and and all that, you know, there's there's many different factors. And I think it's, it's very hard to predict. Um, I, th- I think, you know, founders should be looking at trying to get closer to, to profitability, not necessarily be profitable, but at least be able to be profitable. So they have to be fairly close. Um, I think expansion and growth should still be a top priority for any SaaS company out there. And, uh, and I think, you know, try to get the funding you can. There's many different options of debt funding out there. There's government debt. Um, which is widely available in the Nordics and most of Europe. Um, they it's a great, a great product to have. Um, for us, we can fund companies who have government debt, so it's not a problem for us. And uh, they are generally quite relaxed on the covenants, so on the on the restrictions that you can do. Um, but the problem is they usually give very small amounts, so it's not enough for most founders. There is bank debt, super hard to get but it's the most cost effective it's the cheapest out there um but on the other hand they require a lot of collateral so a lot, a lot of securities uh, most of the time unless they have some sort of guarantees they will require some sort of equity or personal uh, guarantees and then you have convertible bonds which have been the most popular funding mechanism of 2023 um because a lot of saas companies who you know have lost their valuation by half and uh, they needed more capital, and the VC investors or angel investors didn't want them to do a down round. So what a lot of these investors did is did convertible bonds to give them the liquidity to keep to keep growing. Right. So this was super popular in 2023. I mean, the the disadvantage, of course, of convertibles is that it's it's actually quite the most expensive form of debt since there's a equity component, a warrant in it, um, and it's kind of like also an equity instrument in the end of the day. And it, it usually is fairly complex and takes, you know, two to four months to actually close a deal like that. So it still requires quite a bit of time. Right. So even if it's hard to predict the future of the finance landscape and all of that, maybe you can give some prediction about float in the next one, two years. 
What can we expect from you? What you can expect from us is that we're going to be launching, uh, hopefully, a longer-term products, so three- to five-year loans uh, this year. Um, we're expanding all over Europe, um, and uh, we hope to add also more products, to, so more verticals. So instead of just doing SaaS, maybe we'd provide to, to other tech industries as well. All right. Will we see you at Celsius 2024? 100%. I wouldn't miss that ever. <laughs> you know, it's one of my favorite events. It's so much fun. Amazing. I love it. So is there anything particular that you are looking for right now? Yeah, we're, we're actually uh, starting to hire uh, quite a few people. So we, we've taken really the founder-led growth type of business model. Uh, we have built our business with a very small team and we've outsourced most uh, most of the of the people uh, in our company. And now we're slowly starting to build a team now that we've we've been growing significantly and, and you know, the product uh, seems to be liked a lot. And um, and so now we're gonna be hiring uh, salespeople um, and then eventually we're gonna hire some analysts as well. And so we'll be doing a few hires this year. All right. Okay. And lastly, um, is there anyone that you think that we should bring on the show here? That's uh I'm trying to think of um You're thinking about all the Olympians that you have met during the years. I don't mind Alberto Tomba. <laughs> <laughs> he he would definitely be a personality, I tell you. He was definitely one of the biggest ski personalities. So but I, I would actually I think it would be quite interesting to to interview somebody who is an athlete, a former athlete and now uh, in the management position, a bit like what I'm doing. Because there are so many interesting similarities between uh, high-level sports and building a business, um, it's 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 amazing. I mean, this that's a whole discussion for another podcast, but uh, I think that is super interesting. You, you you're gonna have to let us in a little bit. So, from your perspective, as a, as a former professional and Olympic skier, obviously, what did your skiing background? help you the most that you feel like without that I wouldn't have been successful or as successful in my corporate career I think the one thing is the massive amount of discipline that it required and it's you know when you're like skiing is very much like a company you are training very hard every day you're working very hard it's a highly competitive industry so you're competing that's on the forefront of your mind. You have a highly competitive nature. But you have good years and you have bad years, right? And and you will hit the wall and you just need to get back up and continue. And the skiing is the same thing. You can have a bad year. You're not performing, but you just keep on going at it. You keep on going. You know that if I keep focusing and if I keep working hard, maybe the year after I will be back on track again. And that's something that's super important for a founder because it's a lot of founders give up and to be a successful founder i think you really need to know that it's going to be a really rough ride and not every year is going to be great and you just need to keep fighting it even if sometimes you just feel like giving up wow that is that is amazing and, and profound like i feel like my mind expanded I, I think <laughs> just a few days ago i saw something similar i can't recall exactly where it was i'm probably not going to do justice to the quote but this gentleman said Discipline is the greatest form of future success because it is the only thing that prohibits you from leaning in towards short-term wins 
But if you if you take the short term wins, you sacrifice long term wins. Like that, I, he didn't say it like that. It was much more clever when he said it. But discipline is key in everything you do because that's going to get you to where you need to be long term, and you might not get exactly where you need to be short term. Exactly. Exactly. It was probably me reading something about having a cookie or not. <laughs> I, I would say, you, but actually, actually, on the person, I would say it just came to my mind. Uh, Marcus Dalman from DigiExam. I think you should you should interview him. He's a very interesting character. Yeah, uh, he's a part of the SaaS SEO network, so we should definitely be able to get hold of him here. So uh, thank you for that, and thank you for being on the show today, Cedric. It was insightful and fun, and looking forward to see you soon again. Yeah, me too. Thank you for having me on the show. I really enjoy listening to it and uh, being part of this uh, and all your events. So very, very honored and flattered. Thank you. Thank you. Take care now. So Daniel, what's your takeaways from this episode? Uh, a couple of things. Uh, one, what Cedric says here is what we hear from everybody sitting on capital. Uh, it has to do with you need to run a SaaS company that it's sound and sustainable. You need to have your numbers right. And like he said, like as, as long as you're growing either aggressively or growing with some profit, you're in a good position. You'll be able to, to raise capital. You'll be able to, to get financing from uh, Cedric's and alike. So you need to have your numbers right. And it was also interesting that he particularly also highlighted churn rates. You know, you, you want to invest in companies where the customers don't churn, where they don't move away. So he had this magical number of 7% or less. But it just boils down to if you have a sound business, you have the right type of customers, your, your go-to-market is correct. There is plenty of money out there to be raised. There's many different alternatives to get that fund. So just make sure you have a good business and then you'll find the right capital setup for you, which he also indicated here. One alternative doesn't exclude the other here. You could have obviously an equity play plus a revenue financing play, which was the, the case for many of his customers. So that is what I take with this. A sound business, make sure you have that. What about you, Thomas? Well, I thought it was interesting what he said, that uh, there are different models out there and uh, their model didn't penalize you if you did well. So with other types of model, it could be so that if you can pay back your loan faster, it actually gives you worse conditions. And that doesn't really sound good. You, you really... I guess from from a company's perspective, you want that your partner wants you to succeed, and, and that sounds like a better partnership. But hey, what do I know? I'm a simple, uh, I don't know, community guy. You sell yourself too short always, man. I know you know that you know a lot, so don't say that. But anyway, um, here we are, uh, yet another episode. We have a lot of upcoming episodes in front of us, really exciting guests, exciting topics. Um, Daniel, anything else on your side? For today yeah absolutely speaking about uh partnerships here like you said uh if you also want to help others or if you want to be helped by others in your role we have the sassiest ceo network and we have the sassiest executive network so if you're a vp level or higher running a discipline in in an organization with two million euros in arr you're welcome to join the monthly meetups that we have with your peers to discuss all kinds of stuff in a closed forum where we help each other overcome challenges or make the most of opportunities. So Thomas, where do they go? Uh, we've already kickstarted this network, but where do they go to sign up if they haven't already and they want to 
join in here last minute. You should head over to sassyes.com and under the menu community, you will find our different networks. So make sure that you uh, go there. You can also find the Slack community, the newsletter and other stuff there. And um, another thing that I thought of is that uh, if you have, have any ideas or topics or guests that you think we should have on the show, please reach out to us at contact at sassiest.com. And uh, besides that, we are planning for some upcoming meetups, local meetups around in the Nordics, Benelux. So uh, keep your eyes out for them. And the best way to stay up to date is to subscribe on the newsletter. So hope that you are doing that. And with that, Thank you for listening today. Looking forward to see you soon. Take care now.